0: You hear me? Okay. A Day of lively worship today that we've had so far. Thank you to our praise team who have uh, learned a new song. Amen. I always appreciate when new music is brought forth. And so please continue, I want to encourage you to find new songs or even better if you can create your own songs uh, and be able to sing here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your goodness for your love endures forever. As we now open the scriptures. Lead and guide us. Help us to see uh, and take part uh, in part what you want us to learn today, that we can apply it to our lives and share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Tony Shea, noted uh, happiness guru. Uh, Kristen Grind shared and wrote a story uh, sometime last year. The title of her article in Wall Street Journal was The Rise and Fall of Management Visionary Behind Zappos, Tony Hsieh. He wanted to promote happiness and world peace. And this guy, he was a very smart business guru. He took over Zappos. Anybody know who Zappos is? All right. Uh, soon after it was founded and he led that company and basically where it was on the verge of collapse. He turned it into a very successful online retail enterprise and sold it to Amazon for anybody want to know how much he sold it for? $1.2 billion in 2009. Good amount of money. Now he wrote a book called delivering happiness, a path to profits, passion and purpose. He became this worldwide phenomenon of a workplace happiness guru. And so business leaders, uh, even government officials and Wall Street analysts, all headed to the Zappos headquarters down in uh, Las Vegas. Every year, they would take tours of all of the fun filled offices that Zappos offered. And they wanted to learn from Tony Shea, thousands of individuals. and When he stepped down in 2020 of August, uh, he decided that he wanted to move to Park City, Utah. He wanted people to come intellectuals, artists, to create this sort of uh, utopia as uh, uh, Kristen wrote. And the this the model behind all of this would hopefully be applied to all of the cities around the world. But behind all of this was a curtain behind the curtain. Mr. Shea had struggled for years with anxiety and with alcohol abuse. In fact, five months before his very own death, he suffered a breakdown of abusing drugs. And he actually also became fascinated by um, <laughs> fire. He liked fooling around with it, performing tricks with it. Sometimes candles were sometimes perched dangerously on his bedspread, and Mr. Shea would keep a small fire ring in his bedroom that shot flames into the air without any barrier. Sadly, in November of 2020, at the age of 46, he died from injuries sustained in a house fire that was ruled an accident by local authorities. What did Mr. Shea desire? Happiness. We all want happiness. Is that fair? We all desire happiness. Yet in seeking his own happiness, he was hiding his unhappiness. Trying to deal with it internally. Now, today we're embarking on a a new series called Upside Down. And we're basing it off the Beatitudes found in Matthew chapter 5. And at the beginning of chapter 5, what is it known for? What is it kicking off? Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Three whole chapters dedicated to a bunch of wisdom. Things that we can take and apply to our lives to be more faithful and, and uh, maybe markers of uh, faithful disciples. I just want to quickly highlight. So today we're going to talk about blessed are the poor in spirit. Now when it says blessed, another way you could also translate this is happy are. So blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you were here with our series on Matthew, kingdom is a very important theme. Is a kingdom that Jesus is talking about, is it a future kingdom? Or is it now? Okay, I'm gonna let that soak in your mind. There's also blessed are those who are mourned for they will be comforted. Happy are those who mourn. Jesus, do you want us to be sad? Do you want us to be regretful? Blessed are the meek for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And finally, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now six out of the eight of the six out of the eight of these Beatitudes, I can get on board with but persecution and mourning. Happy are those who are persecuted. Jesus, what are you talking about? And as Jesus is talking You have to think about what are these first century believers hearing? Everything that Jesus is saying is going counter to what they have been taught. Jesus is literally turning their world upside down. A new way of thinking, a new way of looking at faith. Now today, I want to go to a very important passage. Let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 18. And to be fair, we have looked at this passage before, but uh, I'm just going to say it. I had a very great conversation. I was able to listen to one of my former teachers, and he broke down this parable in a way that I hadn't thought of before. He went so much deeper. And also, just to be fair, I <laughs> I also read a lot from um, noted theologian and historian Kenneth Bailey, so I'm taking these two giants and uh, just want to make sure for the record, I'm taking a lot of borrowing. Okay. Those of you are probably very, uh, most of you are probably very familiar with this particular parable. Okay. So chapter 18 of Luke verse nine, and it says, to some who were what? Confident in their own righteousness, look down on everyone else. Sense of arrogance here, right? Okay. So Jesus tells them a parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, what? Tax collector. Those of you know, are tax collectors held in wide regard? Opposite. Okay? The Pharisee stood by himself, got to remember that, and prayed, God, I thank you. I'm not like the other people here. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home just, but sorry, verse 13, but the tax collector stood a distance. He did not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast or his chest and said, God have what? Mercy on me. And how does he describe himself? A sinner. And I tell you this man rather than the other went home, what? Justified before God for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Two differing contrasts. Now many At that time, how would they describe a Pharisee? He's modeling what in their eyes? He's modeling faithfulness. I mean, think about it. He fasts twice a week. At the time, what was required? How many times were you supposed to fast? Once a year on the Day of Atonement. But Pharisees had up their game. They would fast, I believe, two days before and after every major feast, and you have three feasts. This dude, twice a week, so he's fasting hundred and four times a year. He also mentions, uh, that he also pays tithe on a 10th of all that he gets or all that he owns, not just based on the grain or the oil that was specified in the old Testament, but everything that he has, you would think he's a model guy, but yet where is he standing? He's standing off by himself. And when he prays, is he praying silently? No, he's praying out loud so that others may hear him. In fact, what does he say? Uh, God, I thank you that I'm not like what? Other people. Now, back when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray in Matthew, before he even gets to the prayer part, what does he say? Don't pray like these guys who stand on the street corners, hoping that they're going to get the recognition, because they're not. In fact, pray in secret. Now, is Jesus saying you can only pray in secret? No, we're here corporately, right as a group. So Jesus is not saying you can't pray with others. But the intention of these individuals was to look at self. The other time that, you know, maybe what was also going through this Pharisee's head was that, well, I'm going to pray. Have you ever heard somebody pray? Maybe there was kind of a thought that you hadn't thought of before. Maybe he was preaching through prayer. So maybe he's thinking, if somebody listens, maybe I can help see the better picture, the bigger picture. But everything that he is saying is based on what? Himself. He's saying, I'm grateful that I'm not like these other people, these evildoers, adulterers, tax collector. Another way of saying it is an extortioner. And he's trying to build himself up. He's trying to say all of the things that he has accomplished. And, you know, his conceitedness is not the bigger issue here. What is? He's relying on his own strength his own reliance, his own self-salvation. So, he's attacking those around him as well. He's putting them down. Now, when we look to the tax collector, and by the way, they are not going into the synagogue. They're here at the temple. They're outside. And be mindful as well. Keep in mind, when does this take place? It probably takes place around, uh, I think it's mentioned around 3 p.m. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he wouldn't even enter the temple area with his head up. He looked down, a sign of reverence, of respect, of humility. And all he simply says is, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And he beats his chest. Now, if you look through the all of Scripture, there are only two instances in all of Scripture, this is what pointed out to me, which was so interesting this week. There are only two instances at in all of Scripture where somebody beats their chest. And it's both found in Luke here. And also in Luke 23. In fact, let's go to just keep a keep a thumbnail here on chapter 18 let's go over to verse chapter sorry, chapter 23. And more specifically, verse, uh, let's go to verse uh, 44. And I want to read to verse 48. Okay, it was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in half. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. And in verse 47, the centurion, who was overseeing all of everything that had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all of the people who'd gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. It takes something of the level of, as uh, Dr. Kidder said, Golgotha for them to beat their chest. This isn't just something that's happenstance. They truly saw the lamb on the cross. They saw their own need for Jesus. In fact, Kenneth Bailey, he writes, um, in the Middle East, gener- generally speaking, only women would beat their chest, but not men. And especially at funerals, sometimes in tragic instances, they would beat their chest. And as, as it says here, only twice in the instance of only in the Gospel of Luke twice, is this ever an indication of they would hit their chest. Essentially, it required a distressing scene those around watching Jesus on the cross, it was distressing to the believers. Amen. And so even in, in this area of the world, uh, there was a man, uh, Hussein, who was uh, murdered, he was the founder of this community. And he, uh, those who gathered would, they beat their chest, a sign of distress. The tax collector, was moved with so much compassion, he beat his chest, because he recognized that salvation only comes from whom? God. Oftentimes, you would go to the temple at nine o'clock, and three o'clock. And maybe just even no more than maybe a couple a week or maybe a couple of weeks later. As he as the tax collector knew, they could see the sacrifice is taking place. Could he have known that only a couple of weeks later? That the lamb, the Son of God would be laying down his life for him. His simple response, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, talking about being poor in spirit, this man exemplified a deep need, a humbleness, and humility, recognizing that it was God who saved him. The the Pharisee, completely opposite, tried to rely on his very own strength. He lacked humbleness. He was conceited. So the Pharisee was reliant on his own salvation while the tax collector was totally dependent on God for his salvation. And oftentimes, sadly, how many of us can be proud at times? I'll just, I can raise my hand. I was proud this week. I was proud driving. And I was humbled. God truly desires want to be in our lives and have a part of our lives where God can lead us and have revival in our lives. God wants to make a difference in our lives and God wants to make a difference in our community and everywhere we go. What's interesting though, is a quote I heard this week was, we cannot bring revival, but we can stand in the way crazy, right? We need to be desperate for God, we need to be desperate to get to know and understand and seek God's wisdom. Bill pointed out, I believe it was last week at Asprey College, there's a group of people who truly desired and have spent days, if not weeks, are we coming up on months now, Bill? Pretty close. It's where people are truly seeking and desiring God. And the tax collector, was seeking God with everything. Not just coming up and paying a little, uh, a little bit of Oh, help me. Lord." No, his whole life was before him seeking and desperately calling out to God. Question I have, to this day, on this day, Do you identify more with the Pharisee or the tax collector? We all want to say we want to identify with the tax collector, right? But the truth is, do we always act like tax collector? No, because at some point, maybe in our own pride, sometimes arrogance, we can also be the Pharisee. I'm a recovering Pharisee and I'm, you, I. it's partly a joke, but I'm being very honest. I grew up very critical and looking at others with disdain because they didn't know God. They didn't know the Bible. Like I knew the Bible. Anybody also recovering Pharisee, please don't raise your hands. I'm being very honest with you. And you know what was, uh, my reward for that broken and strained relationships, because I was so arrogant. God doesn't want us to be arrogant. God wants us to be humble, and to seek God with everything. And to rely just as the tax collector did. Now if you go to the next chapter, in Luke 19, what's the first story? Zacchaeus, We're going to talk about Zacchaeus later in our small groups. Zacchaeus was a tax collector as well. And one thing to know for those who maybe don't know tax collectors were often fellow Jews, but who'd sold out to the Romans. So they were kind of one of us but not. They abandoned us. And oftentimes, the only way to make money was to extort to add on to what was supposed to be the regular tax, because they weren't being paid extra. So people would have this disdain for tax collectors. And oftentimes tax collectors would be outcasts. And if you look at the Pharisee, he treated him as an outcast with disdain. But yet it's intentional that Jesus desire is to save not one person, but everyone. Jesus points out again, or Luke points out that even Zacchaeus as well. Jesus goes to the tax collector's house. And by God's grace, the tax collector is reborn. Amen. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. And I'm not saying here now, oh, you need to be mournful you need, because by God's grace, we have victory. Happy are those who have victory in Jesus. May God bless you, lead and guide you. And as you begin to study this week, May you be blessed. And if you have not had a chance to sign up or if you haven't gotten your book yet, please come see me. Uh, But make sure you sign up with the group and we'll get you uh, connected. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, and as we go, (laughs) sorry, the challenge. Seek God daily in prayer and desire to follow God's leading. Father in heaven, Lord, this week, help us to be faithful to you. May we seek you every day in prayer. May we desire to follow your leading. Come into our hearts, Lord. Knock and pound on the door of our hearts, Lord, that we may let you in. And Lord, may we seek you with gratitude, with humility, like the tax collector. May we not be vain and conceited like the Pharisee. And may you help us to be faithful uh, ambassadors for you. May Downey Church be a representative of your love and grace that others may find hope and a chance at new life. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Grace and peace, everyone.